Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. We've got absolutely loads to talk about today. There's the high performance review into men's cricket. We've got the mother of all mancad debates after Deep D. Sharma's controversial run out of Charlie Dean at Lords. Sorry win the county championship with a round to spare. And it turns out that seven match bilateral T20i series can actually be really good. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, and the editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Mark Butcher will be joining us later in the show to talk about both the High Performance Review and the England-Pakistan series. But let's start with the High Performance Review. On Thursday, the ECB released the final recommendations from that review into men's cricket. They made 17 recommendations. Quite a few of them aren't actually that contentious. More Lions first-class cricket to give players more experience overseas before playing test cricket. Trying the use of Kookaburra balls that do less than Dukes balls in the county championship. An annual North versus South series, but also proposing a different-looking domestic schedule with a window for an FA Cup-style one-day cup involving the minor counties in April. A reduced county championship fixture list down from 14 games a season to 10 games a season with a top division of six above two parallel second divisions. The blast will also see a reduction in fixtures again down from 14 to 10. The 100 remains untouched and the championship will be played in May, June, April and September. Some counties have already voiced their concern over the proposals. Kent Chair Simon Phillips said we will not allow our club to be rendered irrelevant. Phil, is the reduction in games the main point that counties have an issue with? Is that is that why there's been this reaction? Because I've been quite surprised by, by it because a lot of the stuff that's been discussed has kind of been out there for, for a lot of the summer already. I think that's a large part of the first part of the, the, the conversation, sure. But it feels like it is at the start of a long conversation. This is the beginning of a slowly evolving change in the landscape rather than the end point I think uh, in the short term certain counties are terrified of losing four blast games two of which will be at home two of which of course would severely uh, impact their uh, their revenue streams um, there is the additional concern of course that losing four four day matches across the course of the season um, doesn't necessarily impinge on the finances of a county 
the vast majority of counties. And in fact, if we are going to put some parenthesis on this, uh, it might even help them alleviate some of their financial strains if you were to lose a couple of these games. However, and this is where it gets muddier and this is where it gets more about what county cricket stands for and the values of county cricket. If you were to pull those games out with this restructure, then that means that the people who are a part of the flora and fauna of county cricket, the people who uh, enable this thing to maintain some kind of identity in an ever-changing world, they will be robbed of the thing that they love the most. And while it's a spurious point how much power members have in individual county clubs, nonetheless, they they provide so much of the oxygen of what a county club is. 15 of the 18 clubs are purportedly, at least, meant to be members' clubs, driven and run by the members. The members hold sway, purportedly. Uh, And yet, the overall number of members across the country has been slowly reducing over time. You could now get the full number, aggregate number of, of members across all the 18, you could get them into uh, Spurs' stadium and still have a few thousand left over. A rough number is about 55,000 now. It's come down from 70,000 from a few years back, only partially due to COVID. So it is, a, it is an interesting and key point how much sway members actually have in the shakedown of 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 this review uh and how much do these members many of whom i know i've been a member myself of my own club and they are invariably people who are absolutely enthralled and in love to the thing that gives their life so much meaning and we dismiss or become high-handed at our own peril of these people but how much are they truly reflective of people who are interested in county cricket and, crucially, people who pay money to go and watch county cricket where, overwhelmingly, you have a white ball audience these days and that this is where the direction of travel uh, is taking us, at least in theory. 50-over cricket has to be maintained, for example, despite the fact that it's been sidelined. It still has to be maintained. Ten blast games is a reduction but it's still 10 blast games and the counties will be begging I think in the end the counties the the compromise that will be reached I think the biggest compromise that will be reached and why I think overall these recommendations will get over the line with a bit of back and forth will be those four games so in a long-winded answer to your question in the short term yeah counties need and want as many blast games as they possibly can because that's their their financial oxygen um, but the the fear, the existential fear that this is the starting point and the end point will be the squeezing and eventual reduction of the 18-county model is a valid uh, and legitimate concern, I think. Uh, I would also add, very briefly, if I can, um, county cricket has been buffeted 
for a, a century and more. I found a, I found a book written in the early 50s that I was looking at the other week talking about the eventual death of county cricket, the eventual death of the 17 club model as it was then, uh, and how people's behaviours have changed and evolved and no longer reflect modern society and that county cricket is an anachronism. This was in 1956, I think it was, this book. So that's been the narrative for a long, long, long time, but it does feel like now all of these strands, and it's impossible to tie it in, it's such a difficult thing to try and sum up, especially on a podcast on a Monday morning. But all of these strands feel like they are now, they're now being pulled and pushed, ever more so. Um, and that we are reaching a, a moment of reckoning, I think, with the, the overall structure of our game. Yeah, and it's, it's remarkable as well, because in some ways, the county championship is, is almost the most unchanged one of the most unchanged sporting competitions in the world, right? Since its exception, it's sure the number of games gone up and down a bit. It's gone to two divisions. Uh, it's been three days, four days, but they've added one team in in fifty years, and that's all. And that's all that's happened. I think it's interesting you mentioned the word compromise there, because like Yaz said, I was surprised by the strength of the reaction to this by the number of county chairs who were willing at this point to sort of put their heads above the parapet in the way to stop towing the ECB line and saying uh, we have proper issues with this uh, and obviously Kent's went the furthest but there were lots sort of voicing their their concerns but then I was also surprised by um, the amount of reduction that the ECB was suggesting and that actually wasn't what was being sort of teased in the build-up to it so I don't think there was, there was much discussion of the T20 blast being cut short and that feels like a real realisation of fears which county fans have been suggesting for a long time that the 100 would be brought in ECB would pay lip service to saying you know that the T20 blast is going to be maintained as the premier T20 competition in the country the 100 will be a different thing that will allow it to stand on its own um but then that will but then sideline the T20 blast quietly which is what has happened this year they've put it into a schedule which has been kind of unworkable for it from a marketing point of view and that's led to a reduction in ticket sales and then that almost allows you to justify cutting short the number of games. So I do wonder if if the ECB, if this is, just, basically if this is a deliberate first position, basically they weren't expecting to push this over the line, which might well work. It might well be that they end up getting away with something like a 10 team, a, a 10 game count championship and a 14 game T20 blast. But that will also come at a cost to a relationship between the counties and the ECB. I think that, uh, there's been at least a veneer of sort of a collaboration in this and that these be saying you know this high performance we want to involve the whole game in this we want to be talking to everyone we want to be uh, bringing people along with us for the ECB then to put forward this as basically an oppositional move to say uh, you know this is the thing and then be like actually we'll we'll, we'll go up to this if you, uh, if, if you if you let us have this other thing that's maybe a pragmatic move but it could well come with with consequences down the line. There's it's, a lot it's, it's hard you're absolutely right and it's hard to shake the sense that this is the first uh shot uh, in an ideological battle. But sorry, is it just ideological? I I think it's pragmatic. Strauss is warning of what's coming. He in an interview with the Vaughan and Tuffers podcast and the Telegraph, he said players will vote with their feet eventually. They want to play less cricket. I know people like Ben Stokes have said that he wants 14 games 
in, in the championship, but he's played three cricket matches in the last 10 weeks. Players want to play less cricket. They keep saying that. Can and I then, say something on this? Sorry. Yeah, just, I was also going to mention, sorry, just the, 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 the looming threat of private investment in the 100. Surely when you have private investment in, they're going to want more of that. So this is, these suggestions have been made with that in the background. So I, I think it's pragmatic as well as ideological. And, and, and there, are, there are elements in which I, I have sympathy with the ECB because it is a, a thankless and basically unsolvable problem. The, the PCA released a statement about uh, what their players committee wanted. And if I, just, if I just read out all the six key fundamentals they want, it's uh, retaining an 18-county first-class system, fine. Great emphasis on the county championship, played during, in the high of summer, not alongside the 100, fine. Maintaining elite 20 competition, okay. Reinstating a Premier 50 over competition, okay. Growth of the hundred, okay, and then finally, overall reduction in the amount of cricket played. <laughs> um, <laughs> How many cakes can you eat at once? <laughs> uh, so, so, so from that point of view, like that, there isn't going to be a solution that satisfies everyone. Sure, and I, I, I do agree that the, the the private investment thing is the thing that is is unspoken, but will be increasingly more spoken of, and that will be another sort of watershed moment. Will be when someone who is actually employed in a position of power says this is something we are actively considering and that might not be it might it might be in a couple of years time uh, and it might also be that they they consider it and they find that the market isn't out there as well but that's that's the next key whether you want to call it ideological or pragmatic that's the next key debate to be had i guess which is part of this one i suppose back to the actual suggestions yeah. i don't really mind a lot of it uh, I I don't I don't mind playing first class cricket that's not the championship in August. I think that's better than what we currently have. For me, it doesn't make a massive difference if it's championship cricket or first class cricket. I think people what would, would you enjoy prefer if you had a choice. So 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 on the t- on the table being yeah. say th- two to three rounds of championship cricket as part of the obviously the overall championship in the middle of August or festival cricket as it's being sort of euphemistically described i.e. you hope for the best that Lancashire and Yorkshire put on a Roses game at Southport and maybe Essex and Kent play and maybe Sussex Surrey and Middlesex or whatever etc etc so what would you prefer to see what's what has more integrity as well I think I'd marginally prefer just playing the championship then because counties particularly the big ones are just used to losing loads of players at once anyway sorry win the championship playing 22 players regularly have lost players to both the England test and white ball squads at the same time and they manage I know a county like Somerset who lose I think 12 to the 100 would, would really really struggle I, I, I'm of the opposite view I, I would prefer the county championship to maintain as much integrity as possible and you don't mind I'm, I'm just playing the advocate here uh you don't mind there being basically an eight to ten week gap in the middle where you almost forget who's done well and who's done badly and then you pick it up at the fag end of the season. You're OK with that. Uh, I mean, when phrased like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not uh, ideal. But no, it, it, it's, it's not ideal. But I, I think that's just about the, the compromise I would I would rather, I think. OK. Yeah. So I'll answer my own question for what it's worth. I would... I would be really sad to see it reduced to 10 games, albeit with a playoff at the end. I, I would like to see 14, 14 games, or certainly around that mark. And I would like it played throughout the season. And I would be more comfortable with the county championship being played, albeit in the shadow of the 100 in August, than these slightly convoluted, slightly peculiar, meaningless, albeit first-class stamped uh, exhibition games in August. I don't think people will care. 
I think that players will be falling over each other not to feature in it. It will be uh, it will be feeder cricket, i.e. twos cricket, with a sprinkling of one's players who haven't played well, who who want to keep their hand in and want to are fighting for a contract the following year. But I think it will be broadly meaningless cricket. But I think I would prefer to see the county championship, albeit denuded of certain players. I would prefer to see the county championship spread across the season with fourteen games maintained. 14 maintained because you are using August. Uh, and for sure, there will be howls of protest from teams such as Surrey, uh, for whom they are severely hamstrung by the 100, for sure. But the gap between the haves and the have-nots in English cricket is so vast now, and increasingly so, that one of the unintended consequences of the 100 would be that you would get a, a, le- a levelling of the playing field across those months, across that, those weeks, rather, in August. And the reality is, for a club like Surrey, they've gone and won the league and done it remarkably well. And they've often fielded a mixture of twos and less heralded ones players and still gone and won the league. That is the nature of being a county side these days, where you are having players who are pulled hither and thither whether it's for a hundred side or the Lions or, of course, for England, whatever it may be. Um, the, the pros of playing championship cricket outweigh the pros of playing festival cricket and the pros of playing some form of Red Bull cricket outweigh the pros of playing none, for me personally, in August. So one other thing that they could do, I suppose, if you're worried about the standard of those games, would be to have those be sort of regional games of some sort. So you have fewer teams playing those games which will mean stronger overall because that was one of the things in the uh, in that first bit of the review they did was the number of first class players that of the best first class players that don't play in the 100 so it's only what 30% of the best ones that do so that's enough to really diminish an 18 team competition but it's also few enough that if you condense the team slightly right. you could have uh, something pretty high quality you might want well to get 10 teams maybe I mean that means you get to spread it to to less places festival wise but you might be able to get you know if you're doing a sort of if you've got three weeks of games, then you can hop yeah. around the country. You end up covering, what would that be, 15 grounds? That's, 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 mm. not, that's not awful, and, and, I suppose. And more than any, any other ele- element of the, the English season, the county championship exists for your diehards and all power to them, right? Um, but the county championship forever has been pulled here and there, hither and thither, by the more commercially viable elements of the county season, right? So, so this might be a more extreme version of it, but it's, it's, it's something that clubs are very used to and members are used to. And, and if we are truly valuing the rank and file, the diehards who, who get out there from spring to autumn, then surely, especially those for whom there are no hundred games to watch at their, their local clubs, their local grounds, or for whom they are ideologically opposed to the hundred, it's, you're, you're still giving them some some version of valid cricket on individuals rather than counties. I think one thing that's quite interesting from the the proposal is that individual players who don't yet have white ball contracts, T20 contracts around the world, don't have hundred gigs, probably end up playing more first class cricket than they did before. So someone like Ryan Patel uh, at Surrey, who's not playing for England yet, who's not got a hundred contract, he'll play in whatever they play in August. But he also will play, or someone like him could play in the North versus South stuff before the season. And there's going to be more Lions first-class cricket as well. Um, so for an individual basis, you get you might have some players who don't play for England who play up to 
17, 18 first-class matches a year. And just going back to, I think there are two almost fundamental questions underlying this all. One, since when has county championship been about solely about high performance? Right, it's a way then, of life, isn't it? And then two, what you talked about at the start, I think there'll be some people listening to this being like, why do county members have this much power? They are an unrepresentative group of people of those who love cricket in the country there are so many people who pay a lot of money to watch the 100 who watch England play who don't care about county cricket at all and I know county members listening to this might not like that but it's true there are a lot of people who pay a lot of money yeah. to follow English cricket indeed, who have as, no say indeed, at as, all as I said you know it is a moot point how much power 55,000 across an 18 club game should be afforded it is it is a, a key question which is why I kind of suggested it's hard not to see some kind of ideological scrap here. I mean, David Hopps, the brilliant David Hopps, who is Crick Info's long-standing observer of county cricket, you know, and nobody sees it more clearly than him. One of the all-time great lines, by the way, in his Crick Info piece, county members are revolting. Well, the ECB have been saying that in private for years. I mean, what a great great opening. Uh, Worth reading for a, a really cogent analysis of, of this very very difficult question obviously it's um 20 minutes at the start of the podcast isn't going to do this all justice so in a couple of weeks time we're going to do a longer piece on the pod on the high performance review talking to people in the county game about their views and give them real space to articulate exactly what they think about the review and voice their short-term and medium-term fears of what it means for the county game could i just add one last thing before we move on um, Richard Thompson is the new ECB chairman or chair and he is very well respected within the game he is credited with doing great stuff at Surrey uh, during his chairmanship he's walked into this this storm and he will need it, all his sort of powers of diplomacy and urbanity if you like to deal with with the competing challenges here but uh he is seen by hundred haters as sort of ideologically aligned to their cause. So he, he has credit in the bank on that side of things. But he's also seen as progressive uh, and very much of, of, the, of the, the modern world um, who made his money and, and his reputation in the entertainment business as well. So he's used to dealing with, you know, ego characters and so on. So he's also said, crucially, and this echoes Surrey's position... Um, that Red Bull cricket should not be allowed to be diminished any further. He said that two or three years ago, and that was his line in the sand when he was Surrey chair. So it would be very, very interesting as the lobbying begins. And again, just to specify, 12 of the 18 need to agree to whichever final garbled version of these recommendations are passed over, uh, passed through. Uh, and Thompson will has a big, big job ahead of him. Um, but the ECB almost by accident, having sort of gone round the houses to try and find somebody to do the job and they've landed, I think, on probably the best person for the job. And it'll be really, really intriguing, I think, to see to see how what role he can play as he tries to sort of kettle them together and, and get some sort of consensus uh, across a game that's not really renowned for much. Well, let's head to Mark Butcher to hear what he thinks of the review and also the second, third and fourth Pakistan-England T20s. Mark, there's been a lot of quite impassioned reaction to the release of the high performance review and all the recommendations that came with it. What were your initial thoughts to Andrew Strauss and co recommended? 
if you were to do everything that it that it suggests, I don't think you'd ever get it through. Get it through. I mean, you need what two thirds majority, don't you, in terms of the the counties and and their members to kind of go for it. And I don't think that that's ever going to happen. And I think it's one of those situations whereby um, Strauss and Co have had to throw a lot of a lot of lot of things at the wall and just to see, you know, knowing that some of them were never going to were never going to fly and that others might just get through. At, at the moment, until there are some sort of concrete ideas to, as to okay this is how it's going to look and this is why we are doing this um you know the the two the two pillars of the whole um the whole thing are funnily enough the hundred um which is not really anything to do with high performance at all it's to do with making cash and and, and having eyeballs um on the sport and perhaps even being able to sell the product on at some point to to private equity and um the other one is, is of course, the, the county championship, um, which is about the county championship is about sort of, you know, all, all the historical um, factors that go along with that. But it's also about producing cricketers for England and, and will be and will still be that um, no matter how you dress it up going on into the future. So it's those, those two, those, those two things are the pillars. Um, and the other things that, that move that moving pieces that move in and around them are kind of those are the pieces that are supposed to be high performance but the two things that kind of get in the way of all of that running um, more smoothly and being more um, cohesive i suppose are the two main things 100 on the one hand county championship on the other you played county cricket after your england career for a few years a lot of england players finish playing cricket full professional cricket full stop when they finish you continue playing how do you view the county championship and county cricket as a whole being viewed through the lens of high performance to this degree well look so I finished I played my last game in 2009 but seasons because I was out for most of 2005 with the, the wrist thing but seasons 2006 2007 and half of 2008 um uh, they were pretty successful ones for me personally, but they were also a reminder of what it is to be a county player, which is that you are, it's an endurance test. It's not a, it's not a skill test. By the time I was, by the time I was back in the, in the county ranks by then and my, my England career was over, I was an experienced enough player to be able to run on fumes, to be able to kind of go out there and do things on autopilot. Um, and, and, you know, and, and be good enough to, to kind of be able to take care of myself without, um, you know, because I because I'd done it for so long, you know, um, for for young players, and I think this is one of the issues that the players have and that the PCA PCA have, have have reported that, you know, the the ones who are sought after to play and everything are pulled from pillar to post. They never have any time to to um, prepare and to rest and to get themselves into a state where they are sort of somewhere close to ninety percent ready to go out and play. Um, and in the end, it, it, it kind of it takes its toll. And that's where high performance kind of disappears out the window. And that's always been the case with county cricket. County cricket has always done that. Um, you know, I'm sorry to say that to, to the members and whatever, because we're talking from two different different sides of the fence. The players would like to be kind of, you know, to, to be given the opportunity to be at their best more often than not. Um, and county schedules not just this one, but going back to um, when I started in, in 1992, have never, ever been any, been about that at all. Never. Um, and, you know, England's, England's success over a period of time 
um, starting around about the turn of the century, began when players started being removed from county cricket. Now, back then, players didn't have the choice. You know, players players didn't have the choice to remove themselves to go and earn money doing something else. You know, it was kind of like be good enough to to get a central contract and play for England, or that was it. That those are the choices you had. Um, but now the players have a myriad of choices, so many other things that they can do, um, and sort of being being dragged around from pillar to post and kind of feeling feeling as though um, the game becomes starts to become. Um, drudgery rather than something that you're excited about is is an option that they don't have to face anymore. Mm. Um, and and there is a there's a massive difference, a huge difference in um, in uh, the, where the where the sort of balance of power lies um, between players and their employers, and you know the, the boards who are trying to put together schedules um, for players to play, and, and that therein lies the, the huge issue for um, for everybody. It's it, you cannot ignore the voice of the players in this anymore. You used to be able to. You used to be able to just tell them, sign, you've signed on the dotted line, get on with it. But they don't have to take that anymore. And so, therefore, um, something slightly more cunning and slightly more and slightly more um, representative of kind of the the, uh, the realities of the modern game um, needs to be brought in. Moving on to the Pakistan-England series, one specific question. There's one guy in the England World Cup squad who's not played the T20 of any description for well over a year. He hasn't played for England in 18 months. Ben Stokes, he's not out there in Pakistan. How does he fit into that first-choice team with all these young batters doing well, Harry Brook in, and Bed Duckett in the middle order? And, OK, Alex Hale isn't young, but he's done well in his return up at the top. Yeah, I, I've got no idea, actually. I mean, I, I think Ben kind of poses a, a problem that, that the... Um, the captain and the coach and the management of that team could probably do without. Um, you know, Harry Brook at the moment is playing on a on a different level. Um, Hales has been brought in to do exactly what Alex Hales has been doing for the last three years, which is to be an absolute menace to uh, opposition bowlers at the top of the order. Um, you know, England's other other options there have been wiped out, um, and so you know, Hales Butler at the top is is pretty much nailed on as far as I can see it. And then it's a question of you know Liam Livingston, presumably fit, is gonna is gonna be is gonna be up there on the team sheet. Moeen um, Ali will be there on the team sheet. You would you would imagine in some capacity. Although I suppose in Australia, um, his his option with the uh, with the off spin perhaps isn't quite as uh, as potent as it might be in other places. So maybe that's maybe there is the sort of you know there's the the the, the tipping point. Does does Stokes' role as an all rounder trump Moeen Ali's in Australia? Um, are those two kind of vying for for a position of floater between, you know, four and six or whatever? Um, because it's almost impossible to see see them leaving or being able to leave Harry Brook out. Um, particularly when you think that the, the, the game time that the guys are going to have leading into it now, Joss, I think, is going to play in the in all three matches in in Lahore, but that might not be correct. He seemed to be fit enough, as far as I could tell. Um, and then you know, so he and Hales have got to back together. That that needs to, that partnership needs to kind of find it find its feet. Um, you know, Milan is gonna is gonna be in there at number three. You would imagine, um, despite having a little bit of a quiet time in the, in this series so far. Um, and so it doesn't leave it doesn't leave a lot of room, does it, for Ben? So yeah, interesting. It's it's very very interesting. And you kind of thinking to yourself, well, I, I, England have kind of had an opportunity here with all of these matches in Pakistan. 
but the opportunity has been for a lot of players who are not even in the squad. So you would you would think that um, Josh Butler would want to be playing pretty much his, his full strength team between now and that first game. You know, six matches in slightly different conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, but he might not get the chance to do that as yet because you know they're still nursing Mark Wood. Chris Wokes hasn't bowled a ball in anger for for ages, and um, you know he, he was sort of just about off a full run in practice prior to um, the the match on Sunday in Karachi. So you know there there are Chris Jordan's not not out here yet. He will be joining um, up in Australia. So th- there are so many moving parts for England at the moment. It's starting to look a bit of a mess. Um, <laughs> you know, they're still very capable of playing extraordinary cricket. And, you know, Mark Wood the other night was thrilling. Harry Brook has been magnificent um, throughout the, the course. But you're also thinking to yourself, there's not been a cohesive um, performance yet. Um, and of course, you don't want to peak too early, but it'd be nice to be somewhere close or some, uh, to have some sort of an idea that you're, that you're just about to be in, uh, in peaking mode. When at the moment, England are in just about at, at the point where they can think about perhaps putting what might be their best eleven on the part, mm. but not quite get around to doing it. Yeah, quite, quite, it might have been in conversation with you, but before the start of the series, Josh Butler said on Sky that he kind of viewed this World Cup as a free hit, given how early it was in their cycle, which I was surprised by, given how established a lot of that team is in in white ball cricket, and that not that long ago it was it was I mean a year ago. A World Cup semi-final defeat was was disappointing. So to describe a World Cup yeah. a year later as a free hit is quite interesting and, and all, an interesting glimpse into how how the dressing room might be thinking at the moment. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether that's you know you, you say something like that in order to to take pressure off yourselves or whatever. But I mean, if if it was really being viewed like that, then you probably wouldn't be bringing Ben Stokes along, would you? Or yeah. you might just say, well, we're going to go with we're, we're going to go with with salt and not bother with hails. Um, do you know what I mean? You'd, you'd kind of you wouldn't be so keen to be to be carrying around these thirty something injured players if if it was just you know let's throw all the youngsters in there and you know and we'll have a proper tilt at it in two years time. So um, there, there, you know there are conflicting messages there. I'm not I'm not having a, having a go at them for it, but it just it seems it seems to me if that's the way if that's truly the way you're viewing this World Cup then you might have, selection-wise, you might have been a little bit more gung-ho with some of the young'uns and left some of the old'uns behind. Well, cheers for your time, Mark. We'll catch you next week. Ben, let's start with the, with the second T20i. There was a lot of chat about Rizwan and Baba's strike great at the top, but their unbeaten stand of 203 was so good to watch. And I think over the course of the first four games, we've got an idea of why they bat the way they do. Their middle order really has struggled quite often. Do you now see why they have been more cautious in the last year or so combination of not only the batting line but having a really strong bowling attack that will back themselves to defend par if they're batting first uh, it's, it's quite a leading question there uh yes yeah, to be honest yes and no still i think um obviously that partnership was incredible and when it comes off it is incredible to watch as much as it is you know anything else like the that the, the, they see themselves as kind of their team's only hope so do and they do risk a lot like it's it's low risk batting in a way and that any particular delivery they're not like to get out but also if, if either of them had been dismissed between overs like seven and 15 Pakistan lose that game quite comfortably and 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 there would there would well be blame coming their way for it but I, I also think it's uh, there's I guess there's two strands to it one is that 
might the middle order be uh, a bit stronger if they got a bit more time in the middle approaching different situations? Um, that's one question. The other thing is, well, I think I think it is a bit easy to overestimate just how weak the rest of Pakistan's batters are. I mean, Shah Massoud's half century in the 30 20 was, was was very good. We've seen him in counter cricket throughout this year. He's a batter in their mould. If you have three of them or even they, they might be able to find another, then actually each of them can go a little bit harder. You also have uh, Asif Ali, who's this, uh, this you know, this eight ball a game specialist who hits sixes for fun and who and his innings really in the in the 40 20 i ended up being the difference um with what two sixes and three balls in a game they win by by three runs so I, I i do understand it uh more than say if butler and hales are playing that way it would be even weirder with the strength and depth that england have but i also think that there are uh they, they could stand to attack a little bit more i suppose and that you know for for all that that performance was amazing um, two games before it, Rizwan had played a, a, a scored a half century, which you could justifiably call match losing. They were chasing 171, I think, in the Asia Cup final. And he scored something like 55 or 49. Like that, that is a that is a bad T20 innings, whether you have no middle order or not. That's just a bad innings. And then even even yesterday, obviously, that's the strength of the bowling attack and of this you know this Pakistan side. who really are all playing for each other. That was the other striking thing about that second T20I is how so many of their teammates not just said well done to them but made a point of sort of hitting back at the critics like uh, uh Shaheen tweeting like look how selfish these two are with a wink face sort of thing um like they, they they really do all play for each other and that is going to get them far as well um but uh even before that yesterday you could still say that you know they between them they played they faced what like about 75 percent of the balls yesterday and and they, they just could have gone a bit earlier, I guess. Yes. Mm. Phil, what's your moment of the week? Uh, Harry Brook, really. It's got to be. What an innings. 80-odd off 35 balls. Uh, all of the audacity and cheek and raw brilliance that you want to see from a young kid. But it's really underpinned with all the kind of orthodoxy as well that you're also looking for from a player that has been earmarked for a while to do interesting things in the game, but has clearly now been... Uh, they are preparing for him to be the full package, the multi-format player, and he, which is vanishingly rare these days, will have a bid to be to become that player. Uh, it was just, yeah, sensational. I haven't watched it back, but there are a couple of shots that stick in my mind. There was one straight drive uh, where he... Which went went over the side screen with a che- with a check on it, and and the balance is always so clear. You know, he's moving from laterally across the crease, uh, opening up the offside. He plays a lot more through the offside than maybe your 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 identikit twenty one year old, twenty two year old white ball kid. You know, there's a lot more going on outside off stump than there were there is say with Liam Livingston, for example. Um, so he is compulsively watchable, but it's it's all grounded in, in, in the stuff that I understand, if that makes any sense. There's all the funk. There's all the fun of the fair with him. Of course there is. But it's, it's, it's grounded in, in, in technical sense uh, and proficiency. Uh, and it's got that perfect, lovely little kind of alchemy of, 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 of cheekiness alongside, obviously, technical mm. brilliance. Shieldberry in the Telegraph described him as England's first true 360-degree player. And my initial reaction is like, what? 
Butler's been around for a while. But he described it as he can hit 360 degree both on the ground and in the air and that his wrists allow him to play more shots than Butler can, basically. Um, I was thinking with, with Brooke, and I've mentioned it a few times in the show, I just can't, I can't believe England didn't play him more in the summer across all formats, to be honest. Um, cricket's got this weird thing with batters, not quite with bowlers, where imagine the England football team, right? And you've got this guy who's scoring loads, loads and loads of goals in the Champions League. You get him in the team regardless. Whereas in cricket, you can only bring someone into a top six if there's someone failing in the top six, no matter how good that guy on the outside is. Harry Brook is so good. I don't understand why England haven't been quicker to move get him in that's particularly test cricket to be honest because i said but but how difficult is it when you've got three four five six sewn up you've got the best young player at three someone who's got serious Mm. red ball runs behind him then you've got the best player in the world at four you've got a player who's who's had the most important player in the world and then the best Mm. all-rounder at six so so what what do you do i I think at the start of the summer i would have played him and given best of the gloves I think, and it's difficult. There's a question about predictions, wasn't there? You know, I mean, I made that prediction up <laughs> yeah. there, so I should break that first test match. <laughs> Albeit he did, didn't, didn't score runs, but he, he did okay from there on. Yeah. So, so that was a big black mark against me. But yeah, look, from his position, he'd have been itching to get in there, but I don't think it's that that bad a thing in the in the long term. Really, you know, he's he's around that setup. There's a lot more cricket to come. I'm, I like the fact that they have not tried to silo him, right? Not said, all right, well, you know, you can prioritise that stuff or that stuff. I like the fact that they've looked at him early on and thought, all right, you've got the full range here. Uh, And so we're going to give you, over the next five years, the chance to become that full package cricketer. The player he reminds me of, I don't know if this has been said on commentary, and it might be an obvious point, but he he bats a bit like Peterson. He is a a child of Peterson. Uh, He extends through the offside like Peterson. He uses the crease like Peterson. He's obviously lethal on anything slightly short. If he's not if he's not hitting the stumps, then he can get his hands through it through mid wicket, which was classic Peterson. But there is there is a, a kind of a technical the, the the groundwork is there for him to be able to express himself. He played one shot as well in that eighty odd over extra cover against a medium pacer, and he just extended his hands through it and then held the pose, and that was a pure echo of that Peterson shot at Mumbai against Oja, the left arm spinner, where it was almost done in slow motion. But because the balance is so good, you get ridiculous distance on an extra cover, lofted drive, and it went over over the boundary 80-odd metres or whatever. He reminds me quite a lot of Peterson. Um, and it would absolutely stand to reason, right? You know, he'd have been a kid at 10, 11, watching Peterson in his pomp, relatively tall, quite willowy, rangy. Naturally, you're going to want to try and bat like Peterson. Uh, there's points of difference, obviously, but stylistically, there's a, there's a big echo there for me. The current touch with me, and I'm not saying he's yet as good as him, but um, the close analog I think, in, in the current game is uh, Suri Kumar Yadav, um, who is vying with Joss Butler for the title of the world's best T20 batter in the world, I think. Um, and it's because it's, it's not just the, the 360 degrees thing. Like There might well have been other players who can hit boundaries or even sixes to all parts of the ground. It's being able to do that in a, in a reactive way, basically. Like, it's so, so hard to bowl to when Brooke, actually, without giving the bowler much of a clue, and Sky as well, uh, it can be bowled outside of stump and they can still be getting through the leg side. Or it can be, uh, you know, card for six, sort of over, over point rather than over extra cover. Like, you just aren't able to put a feel of it. There was also a good piece after that innings by uh, Matt Rolly, who was in the pod a few weeks ago, talking about how 
the, his, the, the fact that he can play the scoop really aids him as well. So um, that throughout that 80-odd, uh, that uh, Paxton had to have a fine leg back because they knew that Brooke would scoop as soon as they didn't have one. But that just leaves that one extra gap to hit. And then as soon as they brought the fine leg up and that final over, he nails the scoop for four. There's, there's one other thing on Brooke as well, actually. Oh, this is on the selection point, which is that I guess, I know he did play a little bit of white ball cricket through the summer. Um, but the, I guess the, the the curious thing is England's prioritization, and we've mentioned this before, prioritization, prioritization of Phil Salt as their established next person in whatever the format, whatever the position. Um, and it's not just Harry Brook that sort of highlighted that that was a slightly curious call. And you can actually Salt does have some things that really uh, uh, make him valuable. I mean that he is very very attacking, which England obviously really do clearly value. Perhaps you could argue they overvalue it uh set against other things just such as technical ability ability against different types of bowling that sort of thing and I think Duckett's highlighted that as well uh, obviously who's played brilliantly as well and quite a different way to to Brook I mean whereas Brook is is you know it's got as many dimensions as you want Duckett is almost I mean he's he's deliberately one-dimensional like he is just absolutely ace the the sweep and the reverse sweep to the point where he's probably one of the best players in the world of those two shots comes in the middle overs plays in a bowling loads of spin and he will just sweep and reverse sweep them all day and there's not much they can really do about it. There's a lot of, of money to be made in that position. Um, I was writing a thing on Nicholas Poran, who is, after Gale, the best, uh, the highest scorer against left-arm spin in T20 history. Uh, and Duckett has got that kind of middle-overs spin expert quality to him. And if you can sort of identify yourself in that, in that, in those terms, and you can start making a hell of a lot of money around the world. He's been really, really excellent, Duckett. And as we've spoken on the show, he's another one who, on the, coming up on the rails a little bit, but he has the versatility in his game, and he has the red ball runs behind him to potentially feature in, in England's top top three at some point down the line well, in we, all forms. Yeah, we said it a couple of weeks ago that we can both see him opening in. In fact, I, I quite like with Duckett that. Um, his first chapter as an international cricketer was kind of defined by his struggles against spin. I don't think he actually got out to a seamer as a test cricketer yet. Um, and now he's, he's, he's brilliant against, against spin. Just the, the one thing I wanted to add on, on the idea of Brooke having been earmarked for the full, full lot. Uh, Joe, Joe Harmon spoke to Ollie Pope last night, uh, who's obviously had a great year. And I don't know, the, I haven't heard the interview, I don't know how it went particularly, but I'd be very surprised if he didn't use that opportunity, Pope, again, to talk about how frustrated he is that he hardly hits a white ball. And you have there a cricketer whose game is very much of the modern modern era, but again, like Brooke, founded in the principles of, bat- of batting. You see the way that he runs, his, his signature shot is to run at the quicks now from number three, which is unheard of. You imagine NASA or Jonathan Trott doing that. And yet it begins to make sense. And yet he is, he is kept at arm's length from the, this kind of stuff. Now, he is an ambitious young kid. He'll be desperate to be the new Joe Root. He'll be desperate to play 150 over games. Might take him 20 years to do so, but you know what I mean. And as a T20 player as well, you know. He, will, he, he made un- a name for himself as a T20 exactly. player. Exactly. He will undoubtedly so. want to be that player that ticks all the boxes. And yet, through various reasons, structure... You know, priorities, money. He's been pigeonholed a bit, you know, and that must really eat away at him, I would imagine, especially when you watch someone like Brooke go out there and, and do what he's doing. You know, he'll be, he'll be eating away at him a little bit, I think. And I guess, going back to the new structure, he'll be someone eyeing up that April Royal London One Day Cup 
stint with Glee. He'll be like, finally, I can show them what I can do. Yeah, indeed. Ben, you reckon Mark Wood bowled the fastest ever over delivered by an Englishman? Yeah, it's been it's been quite funny the Mark Wood thing this series because ahead of it, England were being very cautious as it's right to be. You know, he hasn't played a professional game since March. The sort of the what what they're kind of saying is, oh, he'll maybe get a go in the Lahore leg, but you know, we need to be absolutely, you need to make sure he's absolutely fine that sort of thing. And then he just turned up at training and is bowling faster, I think, than he, than he ever has. I mean, bowling rockets is the phrase you have to use with him. Uh, you don't have to. Well, uh, yeah, that, that, that's 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 the stock one at least. And then and the, so, so then his first over back. He hits uh, 90, 96 mile an hour. Like, wow, that that's quick. And, you, and your first over in a, there's no easing into it. He, he's, he's, he's right right on it from straight away. And the second over, his fastest ball by the speed gun was 97 miles an hour. And his slowest was 151 kilometers per hour. So what, 94 miles an hour, which is absolutely absurd. I mean, there'd be very, very few fast bowlers in history who would have bowled a ball, um, English fast bowlers in history, bowled a ball as quick as would slowest ball in that over. Uh, and and he he you know he won in the game. He got um uh, got Babra early with a ball that was it was just too quick for him for the guys. You know he has more time than almost anyone else in the world game, and he was he was rushed and could only as a top edge that almost flew for six. And the and the guy on the rope manages to haul it in. And it, and if it had gone a bit further, it would have killed someone because they were doing an interview on the side of the pitch. Rami's Raja was being interviewed by the one of the host presenters. Yeah. Um, and I think Martin Darlow from the ECB was 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 doing it as well. Um. And yeah, it was flying straight for him. Yeah, and Ramis Rudd was slipping into commentator mode during that as he well. Was, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really, really strange moment. Um, yeah, you, you have this absolutely electrifying cricket. You've got the fast, maybe the fast bowler on the planet bowling to uh, maybe the best performing batter on the planet. And Ryan Dalo on cons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed the commentary as an aside. I know you'd have probably spoken to Butcher by the time we get to this bit on the show, as weird as it is. He's been on fire. Uh, David Gower. Speaks for itself, doesn't it? Oh, what a joy to listen to him. Um, Back in and, 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 well. and Wazim and Wacker as well, you know, ticking, forever ticking. It's been really enjoyable, this series. Um, and Ben, I owe you a... No, I don't. I never owe you an apology. Um, but you did, you did dare to say seven-match seven, seven match series, make the case for a seven-match series. Um, and I think Joe poo-pooed it and I sort of dismissed it as well. If, if they're equally good sides then it does start to actually develop a degree of substance. And yeah, I have been quite into this. You sort of said to me this morning that I can't even be bothered to watch a game of cricket anymore, <laughs> despite having me having sat through three games of cricket this weekend alone. Uh, but yeah, I've enjoyed it just as much as you have, almost. I think the player rotation helps from an English point of view. We're seeing players we've seen a lot in county cricket, but not in international cricket, and seeing whether they can make that step Liam up against Dawson. a very good... Why haven't we spoken about Liam well, Dawson? Well, we haven't spoken about that last game at all, which is the best mm. game of the lot. Liam Dawson. What a knock. People will have watched the game, so I don't know if we need to go through it, but but that really did have people... It had proper ebb and flow. There were about four different points in the chase where you could say that like one or the other side was was winning it. And that point when David Willey got out, you, that's when you felt the game was absolutely sewn up. That was three weeks in hand. You're still needing more than tens. Uh, Dawson and Rashida both in. It was, it was funny. The last time either of them made more than 40 in international cricket was Liam Dawson's test debut. Um, so, although you can look at the first class hundreds and be like, oh, ma- maybe they've got something. You're thinking like, actually, uh, England are probably done here. And then, yeah, Dawson hits Mohammed Hasnain, the the young quick for, what was it, 25 in and over, uh, keeps the strike, then hits Harris Ralph for four, and that's the game you think done. That's uh, takes down to five needed to win. And then Ralph two and two, and then the chaos in the final over. That that was That was, yeah, 
that was a, a great, a really, really great game. Dawson um, not crossing when when he top edged it was po- possibly crucial. Yeah, possibly. Um, and yeah. He probably did need to play that shot with five of nine needed as well. Yeah, amazing game. And and Liam Dawson always fascinating cricketer. Like England just seemed to decide exactly how good he was the first moment he played for England, and you just never see him until the build up to a World Cup. So he'll probably not play at the World Cup. And we won't see him in England squad until the next World Cup. Well, he's he's been in every either in the squad or reserve for every World Cup in the last five years, and never played a World Cup game. Um, uh, barely plays a game between World Cups. Yeah, and and yeah, this this did fully justify it. To be serious, and Dawson, it's it's easy Mm. to talk about him as sort of a a bit of a almost a joke cricketer because of that thing. Firstly, he's bowled very well this series. Bowled really well. He's been really really accurate. He's really tied. In in a way, he's he's almost the ideal bowler to Baba and. Rizwan because they will be very content to uh, knock around a spinner in the mm. middle overs if the balls aren't there to hit and you can at least be sure there's not many absolute filth from Dawson. Someone might at some point get a hold of him, but those aren't the two that are going to do it. Um, but uh, they've also, England England have pigeonholed him as this guy that they think if there is a big occasion uh, and a big moment, they can entrust him to sort of step up and not be cowed by it. They've swatted that in his, in his personality and his character. And that's exactly what, what last night was. That was a big moment, even if it was just a bilateral T20i series. And, and he absolutely stepped up and they will feel vindicated in their assessment of him. Right. Mancad time. Hey. We've got loads of questions and what happened between England and India at Lord, specifically on Deep D Sharma's Mancad of Charlie Dean at the end of the game. A bit of a shame, really, as it took the focus off Hulan Goswami's swan song in international cricket, but we'll address the Mancad first. We had one listener, Paul, suggested that we're just going to get 55 minutes from Phil, which, um, sorry to disappoint you, Paul, is not going to happen. Um, (laughs) Hugh wrote in to say, I know you guys probably don't want to have a debate about Mancadding, correct, but I guess you're going to. Ben does. I just get so tired of people parroting, just stay in your ground, and I feel like it totally misses the point. The question is whether you want nail-biting contests to be decided this way and whether a wicket is a proportionate or sporting outcome. Imagine the series is 1-1 or it was a World Cup final or that Ashley Giles had run out Michael Kasparovich at the non-striker's end at Edgebaston in 05. I also don't think these questions necessarily concern the spirit of the game either. The additional complexity is that a mancad takes place after the point of release, so some deception is inherent to it. In this case, I think Dean, unlike Butler, was fractionally out of her ground at that point, but she was hardly charging down the pitch. Ben, go. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of the frustration and angst about the dismissal is an angst about the laws. It's just not expressed that way. So when people when people say, for example, oh, she was only marginally out of her ground, people say, well, you can be run out by a millimetre and that doesn't make a difference. I think that's people saying that you know it should you should, there should somehow be some some greater leeway for it is people saying that she hasn't left too early basically and they there is an argument that they have a case as the law's written because the law is written in uh in, in a in a confusing uh, in a way that's open to interpretation where it says that you're liable to be run out at any point up until the bowler would be expected to release the ball like why would you bring sort of, you know, questions of, of, of metaphysics and hypotheticals into it in this situation. Why not just, as is with the case with almost everything else in the law, go with something actually properly factual and measurable, like, and there are loads of options. You could say just release the ball uh, and then that removes all grey area, but that perhaps would give too much to the, I guess, the, the pro non-striker run-out crowd who 
Uh, whereas the, the the anti, it would think that actually you should be able to back up and you should be able to just kind of go. And if you're not going too early, that's fine. Or you could go with something like the front foot landing or when the arm comes past the vertical. Or there are lots of factual things you could say. And that does, that would remove one element of it. But I think it would also help to to clear up and at least put something down that says uh, this is too early and this isn't rather than this quite, this, this sort of fudge that we have at the moment, I suppose. Um that's that's about all the energy I kind of have for for non-striker runouts. I mean, it's it's yeah. I'm, do, do, do you want to do you want to uh, try uh, and offer I've, something? You, got, you go, yes. So go I, I'm 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 very. I've always been like it's out. You're, you're getting an unfair advantage. The one thing I would say is India won a really close, really good game at Lords. It's their first game at Lords for five years in front of fifteen thousand fans at the ground. And when Deepti Sharma wins a game for India, she doesn't celebrate. I think there's something that, I think that reaction suggests there's something unsatisfying about claiming victory or taking wickets in that manner. The more I think about it, I probably would change the law to it being a penalty run. Um, and that make it really simple. Every time you do it, one penalty run, five penalty runs, whatever. I think, I think if you just remove um, the grey areas, then it would just be simpler for everyone. At the moment, it's, it's still loosely open to interpretation. Mm, yeah, I can see the. I guess the other thing I would say is that I thought you didn't have anything to say. <laughs> no, it's it's not about the you know the, the ethics or the moral correctness of the decision. I think I think it's just that what, whatever you feel about the debate, uh, as things currently stand, if you are a non-striker and your bat is and 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 you're not waiting for the bowler to bowl it before you leave your crease, then you are liable to be run out. And whether you think that's unethical or against the spirit of the game whatever it is it does not going to change the fact of the matter that you might well be out and so if you're a professional sports person who uh you know and it matters a lot whether you whether you win or lose and uh that's something that you should, people should need to train to stop doing that basically and that goes against and goes without any ethical considerations that's just the the pragmatic thing that people need to understand and start doing it's surprising that it hasn't there hasn't been almost more focus on that from a a training point of view and, and you know maybe some people might think that um uh, the cost is is worth it that you know that extra little bit uh that you get is not cheating it's just you're, you're sort of playing a it's, it's a bit of a game that you're 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 thinking okay if that that accumulates over time will uh counteract the occasional dismissal you'll get from that point of view but that's uh it's not it's not going to change no matter what people think i think the, the, the fight in a way has already been lost because it's in the laws and people are taking advantage of it. I was watching it live. I felt a bit, em- I felt a bit embarrassed for the game. I think, echoing your point, I didn't know where you stood on it. Really, we hadn't discussed this before the show. But I, I f- feel a similar kind of resp- reaction to you. And it's not a moral thing. It's more of an aesthetic thing. And it's, it's more, an, a sense of anticlimax, really. I suppose. And I, I think I saw a tweet or two. Twitter really does come into its own with something like this, my word. But I think I saw a tweet or two from somebody saying that the the reaction of the Indian players suggested that everyone was absolutely cool with it and that they they were unified and, and collectively behind it behind the move. I didn't get that sense. I got the opposite sense. And I might not have been watching it closely enough, but I got the opposite sense. I got the sense that they were very self very self conscious and they were shuffling around, waiting for the decision which they knew to be in their favour, in inverted commas. Uh, but I, th- I think there was a sense that they'd rather sort of inverted the spectacle of a finish in a series they'd already won as well with the the the, the added 
text of of Goswami's you know grand finale and all of that and I don't know I think in the cold light of day there'll be there'll be a few cricketers in that in that bunch who would have thought yeah well that's a pretty cheap way to win a game of cricket so yeah I saw that and I felt that I think um I was watching actually it was actually the highlights so I'd seen it live but that but the highlights were on the day after and I was watching them with my wife who's who's been a bit poorly this weekend so she was against her will, stuck in with me watching cricket on the telly and obviously barely taking any notice of it. But I said to her, watch this and what's your reaction to it? And not for the first time, I, I go to my wife as some kind of ethical barometer in life, you know, and her response with no f- dog in the fight was, how dozy is that, is that batter? What, what, what's, she, what's she doing? And that final clip where... Charlie Dean's still looking for the ball, and she's by this point three or four yards down. My, my wife's response was, "Well, it's her own fault, right? Isn't it? Isn't it just her own fault? You know, if she wanders out like that, then and and I thought that was quite an interesting response, really. You know, because as I say, she's complete neutral in this this funny quixotic cricketing scrap. And um, just one other final thing from a player's perspective, and I saw another tweet from a from a lad who I like a lot, who's a proper cricket club cricket nuffy type and he said basically show me a show me someone who's never played cricket without them telling me that they never played cricket and it was in response to somebody saying walk out your ground you're out tough tough shit and I get where he's coming from on this right he was, he's saying look if you've played the game you know that this is not cricket but I've played the game a lot and I would be feeling like if I was in Charlie Dean's shoes, I'd be feeling after the emotion dissipates, I'd be feeling, yeah, I've let myself down a bit there. Don't put yourself in that position to be mugged off. And it's up to Deep Sea, sure, to, to do the mugging. And many cricketers wouldn't. And I personally wouldn't. But don't allow yourself to get mugged off, I would say, yeah. on that one. The last thing I'm going to say is <laughs> I don't think you can just dismiss how strongly so many players feel about it. You know, if current international players, you Stuart Broad, for example, Jimmy Anderson, Sam Billings, feel moved to comment and show that they disagree with it. I, I don't think you can dismiss that. If the people... But, who... but that, that's, not, that's not the prevailing opinion of professionals. If you'd watched Sky yesterday afternoon, Atherton, Ward and the brilliant Tamal Mills all essentially echoed the same pragmatic point of the other i.e. you step out the your ground, then, yeah. then you've got to face the consequences. Yeah. Um, it's and, also a cultural and, and, and thing. And Mills was, was particularly good on it, I thought, actually. Um, and, you know, the, the brouhaha around it all. Uh, so, yeah, the position of, of Stuart Broad and others is not a, necessarily the prevailing one. That's true. It's also probably quite an English debate as mm. well. I think, I think that that's... That's definitely the case. I mean, I think those are the... I mean, obviously it was England versus India, but those are the people I've seen speak out about it. It's nice to see them uh, tweeting about the women's game in any case. Do you know what? I thought that. <laughs> I thought that. Oh, okay. Interesting, um, are we? I would actually... I do, I, there's one more thing that I could maybe say. <laughs> and I feel similarly about this to fake fielding as well, which that there is a possible way that this could be. I mean, this isn't going to happen overnight, obviously, where this actually becomes almost an exciting part of the game. At the moment, in the laws... Uh, leaving your ground early is it's phrased as as cheating essentially like umpires should be uh, docking players five penalty runs if they're doing it which which never happens I've never seen it happen 
Um, but that's there is a stealing the run law in there. But but why not just allow for players to to steal a run uh, and by doing that, you sort of make it into a, a tactic in, in a way, like you, especially in the last overs of the T20, when actually that can be when the like you know you're almost sprinting in with the bowler, you're, you're sort of going for that um, that thing there, and then and then what what you would need to do for that is you would need some sort of deterrent to the bowler to not kind of go for it every time. Like if if a batter sort of does runs and then stops, and the bowler goes to run him out, then it could just be the same punishment as it is for a bowler breaking uh, the wicket in their delivery stride normally, which is a no ball. I think that could possibly work and I think it could potentially be quite fun to see you know in baseball stealing bases is a is an accepted tactic in the game and it can be quite an, an interesting intricate part of it and why could that not be the same for this I mean it won't it won't happen but that would be my preferred solution and then it wouldn't feel so cheap because there would be skill to it I think it would be not just um a sort of a very very rare sort of almost like get out of jail free card it would be a uh, uh, something that is accepted and you you know have uh, pros and cons to doing it as a bowler, I guess. Uh, I, I I love the smell of hypocrisy in the morning, and you mentioned Stuart Broad. You know, everybody's everybody's favourite cult hero, the king of shithousery, right? The, the 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 reigning emperor of shithousery. Uh, his his pedestal is untouched and will be, and hopefully, long may he reign. But this notion that you know running straight through without even turning to the umpire and celebrating a wicket, nicking it to first slip and standing there and just adjusting his, his, his helmet is all part of the fun of cricket. But this, which is incidentally totally within the laws and legit, uh, this is a step too far and this is what, worthy of the deepest opprobrium. I just find that amusing. I find that very amusing and very, very English and very, very cricket. Um, on, on things that are amusing, there's a funny moment in the Rachel Hayho Flint final that took place the next day. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's also the moment at Lords. This is the moment. Where uh, Dean, I think with her second ball, yeah. appeared to give a warning to the batter when bowling and they hadn't left their ground at all. Um, it was like a nice reaction Pure from class, the crowd that. as well. Yeah, it was um, very, yeah. And, and, and I guess one of the things, and it's a shame, it seems like it's turning ugly now. But in, in the immediate aftermath, the reaction from the England players and the India players was mostly sort of it, it, England frustrated, but accepting it. Dean uh, shook Sharma's hand exactly. straight afterwards. Yeah. Whereas now, and fear that I, I, I thought this would kind of be the last day of it and that would be, but now it's kind of getting a bit uglier with Deepti Sharma on her return home saying uh, that they'd actually warned Charlie Dean several times and Heather Knight, who wasn't playing in that game but saying that um that saying She's refuted that, that, that right she, that she that she was lying about that yeah that, that, that Dean wasn't warned and 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 saying in that that India won legitimately she's not disputing the dismissal at all but if you feel confident in it why uh, in her words why will these lie about it obviously deep she said she's not lying so that may well continue on a bit yeah and, and that would be a, a great shame because you know those two two teams rely on one another they've developed a really good rivalry over the last few years it would be a shame if that's tarnished and it would be a shame as well if a, if a few newbie cricket fans walked away from Lords that evening with a slightly empty feeling having been really absorbed by a really interesting back and forth game of cricket and if, if you if you have walked away thinking oh that was a bit that was a bit naff then who, who wins there nobody mm. wins really just on the hey ho Finn final um amazing game the diamonds beat the vipers by just two runs with lauren winfield hill continuing her excellent form scoring 65 for the diamonds ben your moment of the week is from that series but wasn't in that game from lords 
Yeah, uh, well, Harmanpreet Kaur uh, played an absolutely incredible innings in the, to to win the series and to win the second game. Um, and it was the perfectly paced knock. It was a hundred off exactly a hundred balls, and then was it was it forty eight, forty nine of her last thirteen? I think it was forty three off eleven after each hundred. Forty three off eleven. That's right. Um, and it was just the, the the way she was. In a way, it was as we were talking about Brooke and uh, and Suriki Bayadav. There was that same um, element of of three sixty degree play in this. In that you know, whatever England tried, uh, Harman Prequel had an option to find the boundary on on one or other side of the wicket. Um, really felt for for Freya Kemp, a seventeen year old on her ODI debut, tasked with bowling to the batter who, when they're in, is the probably the most destructive women's player in the world. Um, and she 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 bowled really well through her first eight overs. Uh, I think she was maybe one for one for thirty eight wicket with the final ball that eight over, and then ended up with the most expensive figures ever by an England women's bowler in ODI. Um, and yeah, I mean let's let's focus on Harmpreet for the moment because she's she's actually had a, a brilliant year, having had a rough time of it since um, uh, quietly in the past few years. So since that one hundred seventy one in the twenty seventeen World Cup semi final, which is maybe the the you know the best innings ever played by a by women's cricketer. Um, she hadn't passed 60, I think, in an ODI. Um, so she, she'd been struggling, but she's been brilliant this year. She's got, she's got 200. Uh, she's averaging, uh, I think, 60-odd. Um, so she's, she's been really, really good. And, and she is, there, there's no one better to watch, I think, when they're in full flow. It's almost, there's almost a cartoonish nature to it, I think, in that, um, like, al- almost like, like, uh, like anime in a way, in the, in the way that um, her her arms, when she extends through it, it's almost as a, an elasticity to it in a way. Like uh, th- there's a, a, a huge backswing and a huge mm. follow through that's like seems exaggerated, but obviously she can time it still uh, ridiculously well with that. She is incredible to watch. She's just a brilliant, uh, brilliant, brilliant cricketer. But England really suffered from a, de- a dearth of leadership, I think, in that game. Amy Jones, obviously, steps in as captain, not had a great series as a leader. And then beyond her, you had. Kate Cross in the in in the squad, I guess, who's a who's a senior player. You've got Tammy Beaumont there, uh, and then beyond that, you've got Eccleston. Eccleston seemed like to be doing quite a lot of the captaincy. Yeah, and points. and and when you've got a seventeen-year-old who's you know struggling, you just need someone to put an arm around the shoulder, and there wasn't, and and to say this is this is fine, this is sort of you, you'll get through it. This is the plan for right now, and there didn't seem to seem to be that, and um and yeah, so it's it's been a, it's been a tough series, you know, quite. A, a, a sad, I suppose a sad way for the Lisa Kitely tenure to to end, um, but also possible to see it coming because England do have lots of very young players, not not just youngs in their early twenties, but players in their teens, and there are going to be bad days for them. And if you don't have the the seniors who can sort of uh, who can take the team forward in those situations, then that is a tough position to be in, I guess. Mm. Moving on, Surrey are county champions for the twenty first time. They beat Yorkshire at the Oval last week, while. Hampshire lost to Kent, meaning that Rory Burns' men won the championship with a game to spare. We talked about them a little bit last season, but they just come at teams, they bat deep, have millions of bowling options. Uh, they select all-rounders over specialists. Amar Verdi is the obvious one who can't get a game for them at the moment. Jamie Smith played for the England Lions over the winter. He was often left out in favour of all-rounders. They had 11 different centurions, and that's not including overseas all-rounders, Colin de Grandhomme or Aaron Hardy or Jamie Overton, who nearly scored a Test 100 this summer. And as we mentioned earlier, um, whenever the England guys were away, they had youngsters coming in 
and stepping up. Tom Laws, 19-year-old all-rounder, was excellent with bat and ball whenever he came in. Cameron Steele um, came into the side at the end of the season and bowled a couple of ripping wrong-uns in the game against Yorkshire. So very much worthy winners. Yeah, brilliantly conceived win all round. And obviously, sure, the caveat, they've got money, but they've still got to use it well and right. Uh, Dan Worrell is a serious bowler at that level. Um, I mean, he's an international class bowler. Uh, certainly would have been two or three years back. Comes in hard for them. Um, and they, as you say, do have an, uh, an interesting way of going about it. You know, they have Jordan Clark, who's possibly could easily sort of be their player of the year. It will probably be Will Jacks, but it could easily be Jordan Clark. Um, he comes in there at seven and eight. He bowls heavy balls and whacks it. And, and you, you look at that side and you get them four or five down. And this has happened quite a lot this year. Somerset almost beat them twice and went down by three wickets both times. Essex almost beat them. We're up in the game at the Oval. They, they went down as well. You get them five down and then they come again. And as the ball gets soft in county cricket and the third and fourth choice bowlers are not obviously quite as potent Surrey just they just they attack at that point it's a very interesting way of doing it really they've they've had to weather the loss of folks for large parts of the year of Pope of course um injuries here and there as well and they've come out there and just been relentless really fair fair play to them um and fair play to Gareth Batty as well you know who who has been an advocate for spin has been an activist for spin as well, saying, you know, urging teams to play spinners. Well, he's found a way of effect- effectively circumventing that, um, using Will Jacks as a, as, a, as a useful spinner, and he's emerging as an international class cricketer. But they've done it really, really well, fair play to them. And I'm not calling up a dynasty yet, but you would think as teams... Players have funneled ever more towards teams with real strength in depth and real and the finances to back that up. You you, you can see them becoming a force for a number of years now. I think handy signing of Dom Sibley over the winter as well. Indeed, yeah. Um, it was interesting. I was looking back at old Gareth Batty quotes of what he said about spin, and you can almost interpret it as not just give spinners a chance, but he just really doesn't rate how players play spin. And I think that must come into why he's. Matt Jackson still that he thinks that you don't have to be this super polished spinner in county cricket to actually be reasonably effective. Obviously yeah. not as good as a specialist. Yeah. Um, it's quite interesting. Um, Hampshire, Hampshire ran them close, you know, they had a, yeah. brilliant, a brilliant year, a real nearly year really for Hampshire. Massive re- result at the bottom of the table, Kent beating them. Um, it, yeah. mean, it means that Warwickshire are in huge, huge yeah. trouble. Um, they basically need to beat Hampshire to even have a chance of staying up and obviously with them winning the championship last year having a number of really established excellent county championship players in there um, them going down will be quite a big deal and especially next season if you basically don't have a chance of being in division one the season afterwards when it goes to the 16 division if you get relegated this year so yeah. that, that's massive for them but again what that tells you is that there's not much wrong with that top division the competitiveness mm. of that top division there's very little wrong with it uh and so we move to three teams of three banks of six uh, with trepidation, I think, because that, that first division is, is broadly competitive from top to bottom. North Ants, you know, they'll, they'll survive and survive relatively comfortably. You'd, there'd have been stick-ons to go down at the start of the year, but, but they've, they've found a way of doing it. Teams are, teams are hanging in there and being competitive from top to bottom. And you can, as you say, win it one year and be 
virtually relegated the next. That's the beauty of that top division. I don't think it necessarily needs to be condensed for that, that competition to remain to retain its integrity. Mm. Um, in Division 2, Glamorgan's David Lloyd scored a triple hundred in their side win over Derbyshire to keep themselves in the promotion hunt. Knotts, who are top, played Durham this week. Middlesex in second are at Worcester, while Glamorgan in third are at Hove. Um, Do you hear a good stat about that... Um uh, that David Lloyd triple hundred. Go for it. So uh, it made Glamorgan the first ever county side. Do you have a quadruple have, and a triple. Uh, just two triples in the same season. Oh wow! Right, yeah. that is a very good stat. That is good, Ben. Um, and finally, Ben, in a minute, tell us what's happened in Australia, India. Oh yeah, well we we, we covered. <laughs> well, we covered the first game last time. The second game was in Nagpur and was the first game to be played there in a little while, and was quite frustrating because there was a, a big delay for a patch of wet outfield, even though there'd been no rain in the day prior to that. So they end up having to play sort of an eight-over thrash, uh, which India just edged Australia in. Matthew Wade again did some finishing nonsense. Uh, and then the third game, you had Cameron Green hit the fastest T20 or 50 by an Australian, not named David Warner or Glenn Maxwell. Um, uh, and then India chase it down with Siri Kimiadav, who we'd, we've already talked about, the star there. Kohli made half century, which got quite a lot of praise in the in the aftermath, but was close to being uh, one of those where like, the game was a lot closer than it needed to be, uh, but a very, very good series, um, and both sides well Ten placed. seconds. Uh, I, I guess the uh, moving on from the series, um, uh, the thing with Cameron Green is that he's not on Australia's T20 World Cup squad, and as per the IC rules, there's no way to to get him in there unless they they hobble someone Boom. done very very good ben we were we were talking about it before we started the show but i think it is weird that the teams have to name their squads so early when there's not that much high level bilateral cricket played in the 12 month cycle and there is a lot between world cup squad announcement and the world cup itself that's weird. And finally, 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 Nick asks, what predictions did you make at the start of the English oh. summer? And have you been proved correct? Phil, you've done a bit of digging in the old magazines to well, see what you actually did I predict. Can, I can't remember what I said yesterday. Uh, none of us predicted Surrey in the magazine um, or on the podcast. Joe went for Hampshire. I went for Lancashire. You went for Essex. Jim Wallace went for Essex. Ben, I don't know, but he wouldn't have gone for Surrey um, unless he did. Uh, I got a number of things wrong. Um, Jamie Smith, who did make a double hundred, but I said that he'd be like a breakout star of the year for Surrey. Um, thought he'd open the batting, didn't. Batted five, made a double, not much else. As you say, couldn't get in the side towards the back end of the year. That was wrong. Um, I said uh, Oval Invincibles men to win the the What's It. They didn't do that. I said Welsh Fire women to win the What's It. They didn't do that either. So broadly wrong. And Are the what's it's the new sponsors next year? Yeah, <laughs> yeah very good. <laughs> very nice. Uh, but I, I was right on the test team. I said they'd, they'd win the first lot 3-0. Um, and I said they'd win the, the next lot 2-1. Uh, so I was right on that one. And I said that Ollie Pope would have a, a starring role. So I was sort of right on that as well. But slim pickings. I, I, I was, well, you, you could say I was wrong. I was right on the test team, but really I was wrong. I, I, I thought that England would struggle soon when they have I thought that you know a new captain new coach wouldn't wouldn't solve the old issues which I felt would were still were still there and and you know well, I, how can how can you present that as right I, I was right for about two days uh the end of the but that's not right then well, they, they also <laughs> bowled New Zealand out for a hundred on the first morning sure, of yes, the summer yeah and and, and uh I would have 
at the time said that uh, the, the, the bowling was fine not the issue and they'll bowl okay, okay. in English conditions and the batting will still struggle um, for the first two days of a triumphant summer you don't edit that out <laughs> I'm Keep definitely that not in. I'm definitely not that is ludicrous um, well no but it was, it was just at the end of the second day I was feeling uh, I was feeling relatively smug I was like oh this this, this remember this, Taha this as well once there. of this parish R.I.P he also uh, was very much in that camp as well that you know, the same problems still existing. England are going to go down against the New Zealanders. Blah, 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 blah. Um, you? Well, I can only really remember two predictions, which probably means I got all the other ones wrong. So the two ones I think I kind of got right were I thought Harry Brook would have the kind of season which meant he won't ever play county championship cricket in April again. Obviously, the county championship might never be played in April again because they're all on the cup being moved there. But more than I think, more that I thought that he'd get an IPL deal and we... I think we kind of know that he will now. And the other one was, I was pretty early on Matt Potts, maybe not at the very start yeah, of the season. Yeah, you were. were very, that's, that's, that's very I, true. I thought he'd have a good summer. Um, but I, those are the only two predictions I can remember. So I probably got everything else wrong. Um, anyway, that is all we have time for. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Ben. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week for our end of season show. Podcast Network.